Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we just commit this morning to you. We ask that your spirit would come, uh, that you would energize this message, that you would open hearts, that we would engage with you, and as a result, just become better followers of the Lord Jesus in the context of family this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm talking about the good life at that series, but it's about family this morning. And when Helen and I got married, and it's a long time ago now, 1971, uh, that was the first great life-changing decision of our lives. Everything changed from then. But only six months later, we made the second great life-changing decision. Uh, We became Christians together. We gave our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And that was absolutely huge because it meant that we had a common Lord, a common master, a common goals, just a common direction. And we needed it because we had no idea at that stage when our hearts were still beating what the bumpy ride ahead was going to be. Now, we decided very soon to have kids. And it was interesting that it was five kids. It wasn't three, it wasn't four, it wasn't six, it wasn't seven. I think we just thought it would be a good idea at the time. But five children was where we wanted to go. And of course, they've all grown up now. They're all big. And uh, I've got one on the screen there, I think should be coming up, yes. Uh, We we call that in the family the six stallions. There are six boys there because the boy on that side is my son-in-law, Matt, and he is a great guy. A couple of years later, we were at a wedding, and so we got the girls together. And we called this one the six fillies, not not the six mares, mind you, but the six fillies. And uh, you can probably see Helen there in the middle, and the the bride is my beautiful daughter-in-law, Alex. But when we got married and started to think about having a family, well, we are very, very grateful to our families of origin. We've, we've thought that, and as the years have progressed, we're incredibly grateful. But they weren't specifically Christian families. Uh, they were, they'd imbibed the values of the culture around them, which was generally Christian, but it wasn't like we were brought up in a family that <coughs> deliberately tried to train us up in that way. And so when Helen and I got married and and started to have kids in 1973, we wanted that to be uh, sort of built from the ground up. We wanted it sort of to, our Christian values, to actually ooze into that. Uh, Now, we made a lot of mistakes in implementation, a lot of botch-ups, but I want to just share with you some of the principles this morning. And as I do that, I am very conscious that we had a certain sort of family, mum, dad, and the kids. But there are many other families, and you are probably part of those many other families. Blended families, broken families, families where mum and dad have split up, families where there have been divorces for no reason of your own, families where you're living with elderly parents, families where you've got elderly parents in nursing homes, but you're still incorporating them. So please don't hear me. I do not want to pigeonhole you in any way, shape or form because your family or your situation is not mine. Some of you may not even be uh, married yet or you might be thinking about it and and your family experience, uh, apart from your family of origin, is still ahead of you. 
So all I'm trying to do this morning is to hold up certain principles for building a family. And you might be wanting to say, I've got to have a fresh start. You might want to put them into practice wherever you are. But whatever situation you're in, I'm hoping you can put these principles into practice there. Well, the first thing I want to say, for and talking about a married couple together, be absolutely rock solid in your commitment to one another. Absolutely rock solid. That's what we, Helen and I, want our family to see us now. Because we live in a society that's just so many crazy pressures, so much life being generated upon us, so much, in one sense, assaults on the family. So we want our kids, our grandchildren, to see us as a supportive unit, that we will be there together for each other, come what may, season in, season out, day and night. Uh, whatever the pressures are, we won't crack. Now, in the Old Testament book of Malachi, the people in those days were crying out that God was not listening to them. Why doesn't God hear, they say? Well, the prophet Malachi looks at them and he puts the blowtorch on them. He gives them an absolutely blistering reply. He says, but you say, why does he not listen? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and the wife of your covenant. But, he did, but did he not make them one and the portion of the Spirit in their union? You see, the couples there were not rock solid. The guys were using the wives as a trade-in for a new model. And the marriage is described, and it's very important, it's described as a covenant. It's a commitment. It's a sacred promise. It's a vow. It's not a disposable uh, bit of paper. When Helen and I married, we made our vows for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness or in health, till death do us part. And you make these vows before the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just before the clergyman or the, the clergy person or whatever. Not just down on the beach. You're making it before God. Now, the interesting thing is I read quite a lot of books on marriage. Some of them are Christian books. And some of them are secular books and secular articles. And I've got to say that some of the secular books have got some very interesting things on them. They've done, they have marriage labs and all of those sort of things. <clears throat> but I was pondering as I was writing these words that in pretty much all the secular books, they never mention commitment. It's just not on their radar. It's, it's how you can have some woozy feeling between you and keep on going and going and going and build each other up. And a lot of it's good but they've just left out the foundations. And I would want to say to you, in a Christian marriage, the marriage covenant commitment is not a prison that will constrict you, but actually it's the secret source that will give your relationship the security and the safety to survive. Now, I, please don't hear me wrongly. Our society today puts enormous stresses on marriage. Uh, it will rip you apart, it will tear you up, and I do not mean to put anyone down whose marriages have broken up. Please hear me there. In the picture that I've got, uh, hopefully coming up on the screen, of our wedding party, 50% of that party are now divorced. 
So please, please, they're all our friends. We love them still. We see them all still. Uh, two of them are very close members of our intimate family. <laughs> so all I'm trying to say is these are the basic principles of marriage. Go for it. I'm not in any way trying to point the finger of anybody who's had a, a harder time. I want, just want to hold up the biblical ideal and say, there it is, go for it. Well, <clears throat> the next thing to do, if you've got, that's the first point. The second point is be absolutely crystal clear about your mission as a married couple, as forming a family. What is a marriage, marriage for? <clears throat> well, it's for companionship, yes. It's for sex, yes. But listen to what Malachi says about, about it. And this is just following on from that passage. And what was the one God seeking? <clears throat> Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. I want you to just please note the reason. <clears throat> the reason is not just children. The reason is godly children. There is a purpose that is bigger than you, bigger than me, bigger than our wants, bigger than our needs, bigger than our aspirations. It's not only to raise kids, but to turn out godly children. In your home, you are forming like a little church. These children are fellow heirs of the kingdom of God. They're the Christian leaders of the next generation. So you're not just trying to propagate your DNA. You're trying to transmit under God, your spiritual DNA. Now, I love a verse that comes from Luke's Gospel. When it talks about Jesus growing up, there's a section in the Bible with Jesus as a child, and there's most of it's in Adel, but there's one little section in Luke's Gospel where Jesus is just coming into manhood. He's probably about 12 years old, and it says this. <coughs> Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favour with God and man. <clears throat> I just love that as a blueprint for what you're actually trying to do <clears throat> as parents, as raising children. You know, see, what Jesus grew up as this brilliant all-rounder. He grew up in, in wisdom. He was discerning godly values. He was making right choices. He was knowing right from wrong. He grew up in stature. He became a fine, whole, healthy human being. He grew in favour with his fellow human beings. He took his place in society. He was not some useless klutz or doofus that nobody wanted to talk to. And also, <clears throat> he grew in favour with God. He grew spiritually. The things of God were vital to him. You'll remember the phrase that Jesus said on one occasion, I have to be about my father's business. Now, <clears throat> what you're trying to do in your home... <clears throat> is to set up an environment where every child will flourish, where you can have fun, learning, growth, a place where they're accepted and loved and safe. Now, loving parents, decent parents anywhere, secular parents, they'll be very happy with the first three, wisdom, health, and social development. They'll want to be proud of their kids and good for them. But for the if follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will want all of those three and you will want an extra dimension. <clears throat> I asked my daughter about this extra dimension, what she remembered growing up. <clears throat> she said she remembered family devotions, prayers at bedtime, Bible readings at the table, my quoting scripture at them. 
when they would uh, squabble and fight, I would always be telling them, do not repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. That was a mantra. She remembers telling them, my telling them, your mother and I will never, ever break up. You see, if your child grows up to be the front lead singer of the greatest rock band in the world, a new Mick Jagger, if they go and develop and get to be the next Nobel Prize winner in physics and they're regarded as a new Albert Einstein, if they go to Hollywood and star in Barbie 13 and become the new Margot Robbie, <coughs> if they become Prime Minister of the United... Uh, of, uh, no, Prime Minister of the United States, well, heavens above, that'd be good, but Prime Minister of Australia and become the new Albo, if they hold up the trophy at Wimbledon... <coughs> and become another Roger Federer. You will be proud. <clears throat> but if they do not know the love and security and the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I would suggest to you, <clears throat> your heart must ache. Well, the next point I would want to say to you is never compromise your values. Never change your... Understand your values in the home <clears throat> and don't compromise them. In the, in the story of the Old Testament, the people of Israel were in they were basically working in, in Egypt. They escaped out of Egypt. They came into the promised land after wandering around in the, in the desert. They got into the promised land. They took over the promised land under Joshua. And finally, at the end of Joshua, Joshua, as an old man, he knows his time is limited. He calls the people together and he gives them this great speech. And he says to them, Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether it's the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, whom you're, uh, in whose land you dwell. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, Joshua says to them, Serve God, serve the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. You've got to make a choice, and you've got that choice now. You can serve the gods of the peoples of the land here. There's plenty of them. You can serve any one of them, the gods of the Canaanites. You can remember the gods that your forefathers did, the gods beyond the river, the river Euphrates, the gods in the land we would call Iraq. But I'm telling you what, you've got to do what you've got to do, but I'm standing tall, no compromise. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Creating a Christian family has never been easy. It wasn't easy 50 years ago, but I actually suspect that Helen and I had it easier than you do today. Because when we were trying to make our family values, the culture was starting to change. It had been a generally Christian culture, but the culture was starting to challenge Christian values. Today, it is generally hostile, Christian, hostile to Christian values. And the kids, your kids, or the ones you will have in the future, they will go out into the world and they will drink in these values. In fact, on their devices, they will bring in those values into your home. And I would suggest to you that you've got to absolutely be crystal clear that this is your home, it is a Christian home, these are your values and never, ever compromise on them. And the way to do that is to start early. Scripture says, 
train up a child the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Raising little children has its challenges. <clears throat> I was watching my son this morning videoed us from, uh, from down in Wollongong, and he had little kids, and they're screaming around and calling out and all the rest. It's got its challenges, absolutely. Temper tantrums, sleepless nights, childhood accidents, safety concerns, life-threatening illnesses. You often don't know what's hit you. I'm not trying to scare anybody off here. <laughs> I'm just telling it the way it is. However, this might scare you teenagers are an absolutely a whole new ball game. Growth spurts, raging hormones, adolescent mood swings, mental health concerns, social media. If that doesn't scare you, nothing will. See, none of these things were perfect when we were growing up, but one of the keys is to start young and be consistent. And Helen was absolutely brilliant here. They got the gospel with their mother's milk. She loved them, she cared for them, she soothed them when they cried, she scolded them when they were out of line, she prayed with them, she sang scripture to them, she read the Bible to them. Uh, and basically, I did that too, but Helen absolutely breathed her spiritual life into them. And I can remember her saying to one teenager who was getting out of line particularly, I will never give up on you. Because God never gives up on me. Well, one of the things that makes it easier to start early is, that, that's, uh, is to teach obedience when they're younger. And I've loved the story about the elephant who gets tethered to a peg. You may have heard it. It's an Indian story as far as I know. But you've got a, a massive great elephant that's with its trainer. But it's tethered by a rope to a tiny little peg. And the onlooker says to the trainer, why, why does that big elephant not just rip that little peg out of the ground? And of course the answer was that that elephant, when it was a tiny little elephant, was tethered to the same peg, or a similar peg. And when it was a little elephant, it pulled and it snorted and it grunted and it trumpeted and did all the rest of it and it couldn't pull the peg out. And then it sort of gave up. And as it grew bigger, in its brain, it thought, the peg always wins. And so as the big elephant doesn't challenge the little elephant. Now, of course, <coughs> you've got to create a culture of love and kindness and respect. And you never let teenagers get away with disruptive aggro uh, or little kids get away with disruptive aggro. So by the time they're 14 and 15 and 16, it's a little bit like the elephant with the peg. They've always known that mum and dad win. They never lose. Mum and Dad always win. And so uh, they tend to buckle down and behave themselves unless an absolute catastrophe happens and they snort and cry and break the peg. And frankly, I've had that happen. Uh, uh, but, but the principle generally still holds. You see, teenagers want to grow up, they want to taste the world, and they often want to do it a lot, a lot earlier than they should. And so... Doing that and setting up that sort of authority structure with love and with concern is absolutely vital. And one way that we found to do it, I found it just so important to do it, was to hug your teenager daily. Now, I didn't discover this with, uh, with some of the older ones. I think I discovered it halfway through my five. 
But what we found was that in the middle of those years when they're wanting to pull away and you've got to say sometimes, no, you cannot go out with that bikey. No, you cannot walk into the, uh, into the, into the city by yourself. No, no, you can't have a flick knife in your room or whatever it might be. Uh, and, while, and they're bucking against that sort of thing. If you're hugging your child daily, and, and hear me, I mean daily. I mean if they don't want it. I mean if you don't want it. I mean if they're repulsive. You hug them daily and you transmit to them not only the authority, but you are transmitting to them love and safety and security. And they remember it. It gets emblazoned into their brain. And I can remember I had one boy who didn't like to be touched. So I would come up behind him and I'd grab him. Love you, son. And I'd just whip back. He'd go, like that. So I found that that kept them with you and they remembered that, even though they didn't necessarily like it at the time. It teaches them to be part of a tribe, part of a, safe, part of a family. They know they're safe, they know they're secure, even in the midst of rebelling. And so the next thing and the final thing I want to say is to teach them to honour their father and their mother. You see, you set the tone. If they don't honour you and obey you, the home stops being safe and secure. It just becomes chaos. And if you don't teach them this while they're young, good luck when they're teenagers. <clears throat> See, the scripture says in a number of places, but I just quote from Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. <laughs> One of my boys, when he was about 19, decided that he wanted to challenge my authority. And he was getting a bit uppity, and he wanted to do things his way, not the family's way. And he wanted to bring that sort of things into the home. <laughs> he was about 19. <laughs> and just a few days before, or weeks before, <clears throat> I'd read a story in the newspaper. You had to cut them out of the newspaper in those days. You couldn't just go online and get them. Uh, and I cut this out of the newspaper and I had it in a file. And it was about, it was called Young Bull and Old Bull. And it was all about an old bull who was grazing happily in his paddock. And then there was a young bull that wanted to challenge the old bull for control of the paddock. And the young bull would stick his horns down and snort and he'd paw at the ground and do all of that sort of stuff and he'd want to have a little mini charge at the old bull and the old bull wasn't having a bar of it. <clears throat> anyway... I grabbed my son and I called him into the study. I remember sitting him down in the chair and I pulled out the piece of paper and I said, read that. And he read it. And when he'd finished and he gave it back to me, I looked at him and I said, now, young bull, I want you to know <coughs> that this is my paddock. And while you're living in my paddock, you will do things our way, mum and I way. And the day you do not want to obey that and live in my paddock under my rules is the day you go and find your own paddock. Well, <clears throat> he was a smart young bull. And he decided to <coughs> settle down <coughs> and he obeyed the rules. And four years later, <coughs> he, um, he left and uh, very happy terms. And now he has three young bulls of his own. <coughs> and it's great watching it all happen. 
Well, it's just as important to teach, particularly the boys, uh, to honour their mother and their sisters because young teenagers think that God has blessed them by giving them sisters to torment. (laughs) And you must never let them get away with it. And they also want to pick on their mother because they see their mothers as kind and loving and sweet. And when their testosterone is raging and they want to be doing the young bull thing, and if they can't gore dad, they will try and pick on mum. And you must never, ever let them get away with it. I cannot begin to tell you how grateful I am to my father because he was so unbelievably fierce if ever I was rude to my mother. He absolutely adored her. I can still remember him hugging her in our home. In fact, the very last time I ever saw them together before he was taken off to hospital for his final illness was he was hugging my mother. You know, it's, it's just stuck in the brain there that this is the way husbands and wives should go. And some years before, when I was about 19, I, I was going out, I was with a mate, and we were, um, he was a good friend, I liked him a lot, and he, I was going over to his place with him, and we walked into the back of his place, and his mother was sitting in a lounge chair on a settee. And as we walked in, he just said loudly, his mother, everybody could have heard it, he just said very loudly, ah, he said, the old tart. And honestly, I was just shocked. I could have melted into the floor. I was ashamed to be there as well because I knew that if I'd have said anything remotely like that, had I not left home instantly, I would have been in hospital. (laughs) Dad would have come down on me like a Till of the Hun on steroids. But there's there's a flip side to this. The Bible goes on and said, do not provoke your kids. Uh, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Remember, you're building a a community of love and safety and growth and support. You are not building an Australian concentration camp, an Australian gulab. I I have a lovely daughter who was quite frisky when she was about 17 and occasionally needed her wings clipped. Uh, and one day I walked along the passage outside her door and I saw that she'd stuck on a big piece of paper a Bible verse. And I looked to see, and this is what it was. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. (laughs) The little minx. Uh, Today, she has a very lovely but somewhat frisky 17-year-old daughter of her own. And it's really great again to see the merry-go-round go round full circle and she trying to put this into practice. Now, um, most of the, uh, the pr- uh, credit for this uh, is down to Helen for what we did in our home. And I want to invite her up to talk. And I'm... Uh, come to, could you come forward now, Helen? And also I'm... <clears throat> A little bit, I'm a little bit nervous about this because I have one of my young bulls who is now an old bull. So, Dave, could you come up as well? <laughs> yeah, just over there. 
Now, you've listened to all of this, darling. Uh, what, are you, um, what, are your what are your recollections? What, what were the things that you would want to speak into this, this topic? Uh, let me think. <laughs> well, we, we started out very young, so I have no doubt we made lots of mistakes, which David will probably... Uh, Heidi doesn't share too many of them today. <laughs> but we did have that commitment to each other, to Christ and to each other, and I think that's really crucial. Carolyn tried to break us up in those yeah, things. Yeah, she did. She, I remember at one stage she said to me, quite huffily, anyway, when I get married, my husband and I are going to have a brain each. We're not going to share the same brain like you and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, we had five very strong-willed children, all very different. Uh, so there was a lot of fun in our household, a lot of noise. Uh, it was always full of other people's kids as well. So we always had a lot of people in and out of the home. But, yeah, we had the commitment to Christ, a commitment to each other. And I think one of the really important things was we prayed. Rod and I prayed together and we prayed with the kids. I think that's really important. I talk to a lot of couples who don't pray together and I think that's a shame. And I think it's something that you should do even if you find it hard. Because over the years, praying for your children and now for our grandchildren is a privilege. You know, it's such a privilege to pray for your family every single day. Because let's face it, they need it and we need it, uh, particularly in these times, as Rod has said. So, yeah, quick, ref quick reflections. Indeed. Now, David, you uh, endured the beatings, the water torture, the <laughs> dep sleep deprivation, all of those things. Uh, and, uh, you know, you were one of the older ones, so we sort of practised on you and Tom. Uh, what, what, are you, what are your reflections as growing up in a home that was attempting to be Christian? We, we had a big family and I saw, Andrew, I saw your kids at the front there and I kind of, it, was, it was reminding me of how we grew up and whatnot. But um, when you look at Rod Irvine, you might see a kind of a decrepit old man now, but he was, <laughs> he was, uh, he was a force to be reckoned with um, when we grew up. Not, not that he was um, you know, ever physical with us, but you always kind of knew. And I was thinking about something to say, that elephant was what I was thinking of okay. because you know, he was very firm but very fair. And I think what we learnt was that um, Dad was never biased and he never had an opinion. He always ha had a view and he would treat you kind of a f in a fair way and Mum was the same and you both were on the same kind of page with that. So it was always very fair and I think when you'd done something wrong you knew you were going to get what for and you used to call it what for. You're going to get what for when Dad comes home but we we'd get into trouble but we always knew that it would be very fair and that's something that I've tried to do with my kids when they know they've done something wrong. They'll get into trouble but we won't be unreasonable I suppose. So that was good. It was good times, five yeah. kids, um, very different than today, but yeah, it was good. Just back to you for a minute, darling. You were talking about Briggs-Meyer. Was I? You were. <laughs> oh, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we. I don't know how long we'd been married when we sort of looked at that, personality indicators, because Rod and I are both quite strong personalities and we clash quite a lot. The kids would all say we squabble. <laughs> we do squabble quite a bit. But on the big things of life, we're on the same page. Uh, but when we did the Maya Briggs um, personality thing, we found out why we squabbled. And that was really quite um, revelatory. And then all our kids did it, remember? And I can remember David being over there with his friends and they were all having a go at it. And so it, it helped us to understand our children as individuals. Because they're all very different, as anyone with kids will know. They're all very different. And what you want to do as a Christian parent is bring out the best of them Introduce them to Jesus, bring out the best of them, bring them up in a stable um, family, but let them fly in their own way. 
you know, develop the gifts that they've got that are unique to them and try and understand their personalities and what's going on in their lives and how they respond to things. So, yeah, so we've got, I mean, we've got a few introverts in the family and a few extroverts and a couple of raving extroverts. Uh, so it, it, was, it was always a challenge, but that helped us a lot, didn't it? And, and what about now they've all gone? Um, how do you try and create family when we haven't got them Well, of course, a lot of our roof. family don't live in this state. We don't, David's family's the only one up here, but the others are all in Sydney and Wollongong. But keeping in touch, keeping interested, seeing them when we can. We have family holidays uh, from time to time, with, sometimes with all of us, sometimes with different ones. Uh, praying for them every single day. Rod and I pray for them every single day. Uh, when my father died, which was actually 30 years ago yesterday since he died, I felt I had lost not only my father but somebody who prayed for me every day. And Because he, he came back to his Christian roots later in his life, which was one, a wonderful blessing. And I knew he prayed for us every day. And when he died, I thought, the mantle's on me now um, to do that and to pray for my family. So praying for them and caring for them, being practical, understanding, being interested. David, you've got a couple of young bulls of your own and a nice young filly. Uh, 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 how are you, what have you, what, what you learnt that you've tried to take on and, and how are you trying to create your own home environment with Vanessa? Oh, it's a, I mean, that's a pretty loaded question, but I think Vanessa and I have always tried to bring kind of authenticity to the home and, and I know if anyone knows Vanessa, she's very real. So we try to talk about the fact that we're not perfect, but what we do talk about is forgiveness and acceptance and trying to make sure that we can all have a bad day. And we'll, you know, we were talking about this just yesterday. Someone can have a bad day, but we can say sorry, we can forgive, and we're a family we love and kind of move on. Um, sometimes it's easier said than done, but that's kind of the theme that we, we like to run by. And then I just think for us, we run by rhythms and routines. So whenever we're not kind of plugged into kind of basic things... and. Even coming here and listening to your old man talk, there's a lot of things I think, geez, I should have brought a notepad. Because there's a lot of things that getting plugged in on a regular basis and just thinking about positive things helps, helps us to kind of share and trying to surround ourselves with good people. So, yeah. Okay. Anything from you? More, anything more from yeah, you, darling? One other thing I'd like to say. Um, I didn't mention this before, but making it a, a family practice to go to church, right? That is uh, praying and reading the Bible at home but going to church, it was always every Sunday, weren't we? We were always in church every single Sunday. Even when we went on holidays, we mostly went to other churches. Occasionally we'd say to the kids, would you like to have church at home? Yeah, church at home, church at home. Yeah, but which we all hated. <laughs> <laughs> Go, going on holidays and going to church. But it just became part of life. It just becomes, a, it's a habit, you know, it's a good habit. And um, when you break a habit, it's hard to reform it. So never get out of the habit. So I think that was important. Thank you. Any last words from you, David? <laughs> no, I think, um, I think with the young families today and all of us in the room, COVID kind of disrupted a lot of things around how we do things and how we think. And I think for us, we kind of let a few things kind of go a little bit and we realised um, pretty quickly that we had to get back into some rhythms and routines and stay kind of plugged in. Um, we, you know, we weren't trying to be at church every uh, every Sunday through that period and when we kind of realised a year later then in retrospect that probably wasn't the best for us. So we've tried to kind of re-establish some of those routines back in. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Would you yeah. thank... <laughs>
Well, we've been married now 50 years. You'll probably see behind you on the screen our family celebration at the Gold Coast. Uh, there's one little boy who's just been born since then, so we're down one on that picture. But going forward, Helen and I still want to be rock solid anymore. To wish rock solid more, again, still. We don't have power anymore, but we still have influence. And that's the, that's the great thing. And I always say to Helen, you know, you raise these little birds and they, one day they, they're chirping in the nest and then they stand on the edge of the nest and they flap their wings a little bit and their wings are just still getting formed but they're flapping them. And then a couple of weeks later their wings are a lot stronger and they flap them and then they take off and they fly away into the forest and they do what they jolly well like. <laughs> and then they meet another bird and they form a nest and they raise their own chicks and then they come back because they want to show you their chicks. They love their chicks. They want you to love their chicks. They want you to hold their chicks. They want you to mind their chicks. <laughs> <laughs> and so really we are trying to play the long game and be able to at this stage of life give, still give wisdom into the extended family that we've got. And it's a great joy. A couple of years ago, a relative, a very distant relative, sent me the photo that's on the screen. And that photo is my great-grandfather, Francis, and his wife, Emily. And the little boy is my, my grandfather, Charles. They were, I don't know much about them, but I do know they were godly people. I do know that Francis and Emily were, the found, were in the founding team that started Nunda Baptist Church. I've known some of, I've got some, I've got a, a eulogy about my grandmother, a great-grandmother when she died, and they were obviously very godly people. And I've thought to myself as I looked at that photo, what was you thinking? <clears throat> what was your life like? What did you think when you stepped down from that photograph? How did you try and infuse into your family Christian values? And I wondered whether in 150 years' time there'd be somebody looking at Helen and me like that and wondering all those sort of questions. So I thought, I'm going to write this down. So I've decided to write a book, and I am writing a book for the family, not for publication. And it's not just what we did and how we did when, you know, we went to church on this day or that day. It's more what we thought, who we were, how we loved, how we grew our marriage, the problems we had, the tribulations we had, the biblical principles we put into those marriages. Because I want to still have influence in 150 years' time. So I'm, I'm asking you today to persevere, whatever your families are like, whatever situations you're finding yourself, because the, the, what I've described will not be your situation. Uh, and so wherever you are, if you've botched up, you can have a fresh start. That's what the Christian gospel is all about. But keep on going, keep on playing for the long game, and remembering that you have a mission, and your mission is not just to pass on your DNA. It's to pass on your spiritual DNA. It's to create, as Malachi said, godly offspring for the next generation and beyond. If we could have the, uh, the band up at the moment, I'm just going to pray for us and then I'm going to leave it over to Andrew. <coughs> Shall we pray? Lord God, I just want to pray for everybody here. There are some who are in conventional families and struggling with the issues of the day as the world pours in upon them.
there are some who are still teenagers or young adults and they, they're still living in their family of origin, but they want to have their own family someday. And I pray that you would be guiding them right now to put biblical principles into their lives. There are some who are in broken families and blended families and they want to have a fresh start. And we thank you, Lord, that whatever condition we are in, that in Christ we can have fresh starts. And there are some like Helen and me uh, who are past having children in the home but still have influence beyond. And I just pray that we can, by the quality of our lives and our Christian commitment, have, have influence over the next generation. So, Lord, we just ask, as far as families are concerned, that you would just bind us together and help us grow and give us life and give us hope. And we pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.